I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Bucks open preseason tomorrow at Miami. Which new player will you be watching closely? And the Rays walk it off on a home run by Willie Adamez. Meanwhile, Hulk Hogan stops by one buck place, takes a picture with, among others, Jameis Winston, and Twitter goes nuts. All that and more. And Tom Jones on the Rays, on the Bucks, and Boomer on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick, before we get started on this podcast. Got a fantastic offer and exciting news from Continental Wholesale Diamonds that's going to make a special occasion unforgettable in more ways than one. First of all, at Continental Wholesale Diamonds, right now, with a minimum purchase of $2,000, only for our listeners, you will receive a five-day, four-night cruise for two to the Caribbean. That's right. All courtesy of Continental Wholesale Diamonds. And get this, you get to pick the cruise line and the destination. So you get to enjoy romantic fine dining and Las Vegas-style entertainment every night. Make sure you let Andy know that you heard it from Rick and Steve on Sports Day Tampa Bay. And also, there's more. Continental Wholesale Diamonds is having a moving sale. They're moving to a larger location in mid-September, and they're getting ready for a massive two-day moving sale. They're cleaning out the safe. These will be the lowest prices of the year. Everything must go, so they won't have to move it. Special pricing and financing is available during this unprecedented event, which is happening on Friday and Saturday, August 10th and 11th. Do not... Do not miss this epic moving sale at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. And do stay tuned for details about their new location in South Tampa. It will be double the size of their current location. Continental Wholesale Diamonds, it's where I shop. And remember to ask for Andy. They're at 1715 Northwest Shore Boulevard, Suite 150, right next to the Penthouse Club. Tom Jones joins us now, and the Bucks begin the preseason on Thursday uh, at Miami. Tom, um, you've been out there a few times at training camp, um, and we've seen... Sort of dirt cutter uh, in the Bucks. Try to get two quarterbacks prepared, and the more I watch of this, I'm not saying it's impossible, um, but this looks like almost from the beginning, almost from the start of preseason, it's one more thing that they have to contend with a little bit. And that that's not that's not normal in the sense that you know who your starter is, and then you, you really got to work everybody in, but you don't worry about necessarily who they're playing with. Right, and this is not like, say, remember a few years ago the, the Patriots had to deal with something like this when it was clear that Tom Brady was not going to be available for the first four games, but it was Tom Brady. I mean, the guy had been around for 100 years, and there was never a sense that, okay, we need to get him more reps. Jameis Winston, and look, I know he's not a kid anymore, but he's still at a point in his career, I think, where he still needs to start figuring things out a little bit more, start, start getting used to people that he's not maybe 100% used to, like Deshaun Jackson, like O.J. Howard, like Chris Godwin. He's only been around those guys for less than a season or for a season. So, um, look, I think Dirk Cutter's in about – how would you – I mean, if you're Dirk, how do you handle this? Because well, you got a veteran in Fitzpatrick, and yeah. he's going to play the first three games, but 
you got to worry about where Jameis is in week four. Yeah, I'm less concerned at this point about Jameis, but I know what you're saying. In fact, I, I really believe that at this point, sort of right now where they're at, that the doomsday scenario is if something were to happen to Fitzpatrick. Mm. Um, you know, you have to navigate these three games somehow. Now, Ryan Griffin, as they say, is, is one play away, and that would be one play more than he's ever had in a regular <laughs> season game. Um, so, you know, he's unbelievably going into his fifth year never having never really played. So you certainly don't want – to me, you don't want to now expose Fitzpatrick, who's played a lot of football, maybe not so much, you know, with the first team guys. But especially in these, this, these first couple games, Tom, I would be really surprised if we see much of Fitzpatrick. I talked to him um, today uh, as we're doing this podcast, and I asked him, you know, just in general, how much do you like to play in the preseason and especially the first game, he goes hardly any. Mm. Um, he, he's you know because there's so much football ahead of these guys, and and for him, there's so much behind him that you know you've got the, the reps in Tennessee next week with the Titans where they can't hit the quarterback, and yet you're still getting great looks against the defense you don't know. Right. There's other ways to get these guys ready, but um, you're right. It's it's going to be. I know that it's something that they are thinking about all the time and. We'll just have to see. And then the compound matters. Now they have some injuries on the offensive line. So how does that affect how you Well, you know, that? that's something that I've never really thought hard about until we saw it last year, Rick. We saw it, and remember the, the moment in, in Hard Knocks where Jameis was yeah. getting on the young offensive lineman. Ryan Griffin. Ryan yeah. Griffin got hurt. And we don't think of that much as happening, like, in a preseason. Well, we'll just – what's the matter? If, if Fitzpatrick plays the first quarter, Jameis plays the second quarter. And, you know, but you're right. You start putting different guys in there. You start putting different offensive linemen, guys who aren't used to playing at the NFL level, guys who might not used to be playing with one another, and all of a sudden you're exposing your quarterback to an injury. And, yeah, those are that's something else. I go back to this, Rick, and, I, and Bucks fans are going to get mad when I say this, and this is another example of how Jameis Winston's kind of screwed this team. With with this is with what he did to get suspended, and I know it's it's not as simple as like oh we'll just put another guy in there for three games. You're trying to prepare for a season, and you don't quite know how to do it because you're not normally in this. It's one thing to get an injury. Guy gets injured, you have no choice. You move on right. from that moment, and you know okay we're going to be with this guy this week. Like you have to simultaneously play both guys, and usually when a guy's hurt, for instance, let's say Jameis was hurt right now. He wouldn't even be available to play. Right. He wouldn't be available to practice. So you don't have to worry about, okay, how do we work him into the lineup? Mm-hmm. Now you got two guys who are completely healthy. One's actually the leader of your team, but he's not the leader for the first two games because he's not going to be there. It's just a mess. And, again, I, I go back to this is this – is, now, look, there are more important things in, this, in what happened in this suspension and James's playing time, but – this is like if you're Dirk Cutter in his world, this is all that matters. Well, Dirk was asked the other day how Jameis is sort of handling um, the, and it's it's interesting to see him out there, you know, not getting those first team reps. I mean, he does it on occasion. I'm not saying he doesn't ever, but but basically, hits second, sometimes third. And what what Dirk has told him is that look, if you're going to be a good quarterback in this league, you got to make guys around you better. So mm-hmm. if it's Bobo Wilson, then he's got to become. Julian Edelman for you, you know right. what I mean? Like that's that's what the great Tom Brady's and the other good quarterbacks do. And yet, I'm wondering, do you think? And I haven't talked to him about it. We might talk to him after the game. How humbling do you think this might might have been, or is is to Jameis Winston? In other words, his demeanor is a little. I mean, he's a little more business like. They say off the field, he's the same guy. You know, he hasn't he hasn't lost his spark or or his leadership. But do you think there's any part of him that that feels like you know? 
And I don't mean not on the stadium, yeah, no, per se, but do you think, you think there will be some humbling that goes on, or will that be when he's actually not on the field for three weeks? You know him better than I do, Rick. I think you have a better idea of what his personality is like. The sense that I get, just gut feeling from this, is I don't know that this impacts him at all. Yeah, I think he is, he, rightly or wrongly, you know, because he went through some stuff at Florida State, Clearly, he manages to compartmentalize That's these true. That is so true. To the point where you don't think anything's going on in his personal life. So, I don't know. Is there a part of him that, that look, is he a little embarrassed that, his, that Nike's not picking up his contract or whatever? Or that he's not on the side of the building? Or that every time somebody talks to him they're, or about him, he, look, he reads the papers. He reads Twitter. Mm-hmm. And he knows what people are saying about him. He watches ESPN. Um, I would think that he would be somewhat embarrassed, but I don't know that we'll ever know that because, like I said, he, he does such a good job of, of putting all those things aside and, and, and playing football. You've been around him a lot more than I have this training camp. Does he seem like he lacks any confidence or is he any no, different than he's always I, I, Different, I mean, not as demonstrative, maybe. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of been asked to take a step back and lead, lead from behind, which I assume means – not doing what he did when he was out front and everybody. So, you know, maybe that part's a little different. But, but I think you're right. I think from, a, from an athlete standpoint, he's, a, he's as confident as a, of an athlete as I've ever seen and one that, uh, that does sort of let this roll off his back somehow. But, but we'll find out what, what the effects are when he comes back after three weeks of the regular I'm curious season. as to what, how, what the, the relationship with his teammates has been like, if it's been impacted at all, if anybody – has said anything to him or they feel like they don't need to say anything to him. And I don't even know who that would be. Uh, Jeff McCoy, Mike Evans, I'm not even really sure who could be the one that would go talk you know, to him. You know the mentality of an NFL locker room or just sports in general, and that is, look, I don't know what happened in your personal life. Um, we're real disappointed that you've affected the team with it. Right. But they rally around guys, you know what I mean? They, they, that's, that's their brother. It's a brotherhood when you play in the National Football League or other sports, and I think that, you know, no matter what – what happened or may not they're not interested in the details they're interested in now and how do we move forward and i got your back and all this so no i don't i don't know who that person would be um and and in any case you know everybody's trying to to move past it but we you know we won't get past it until they get to chicago so which play now there's a lot of new pieces on this team and i know the first preseason game we're not yeah, going right. to see many of them for any extended period of time but as we as we go what what are the things in the preseason uh, or the players in particular that that you really want to kind of take a close look at and see how they might impact the season. I think this team's going to have a really good offense, Rick. I think I look you look around at the skill position. If they get good protection and good line play, I mean, when you talk about O.J. Howard and Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson and Chris Godwin and Ronald Jones, whoever's playing running back, Cam Brate, and eventually when James gets in there, um, I think this is an offense that's pretty good. I think it all comes down to defense. I'm really curious to see how this defense, particularly this defensive line, shapes out, and in particular, JPP. I mean, I think that's the big splash in the offseason. Um, are they going to be better defensively? Because, look, if they're going to win these – or not win these first three games, win a game in the first three. Mm-hmm. And, it's look, it's not impossible that they can't beat the Saints or the Steelers no, or the Eagles. No, But if they're going to beat one of those teams – they're going to have to play some pretty good defense. I, I don't, I'm not sure a Ryan Fitzpatrick-led offense is going to put up 35 points against the Steelers or right. put up 35 points against the Eagles. I just don't know that they're capable of doing that. So to win those games, they're going to have, they might have to win a, a 20 to 
14 game or a 17-13 game, and to do that, they're going to have to play really well defensively. Now, look, I, I realize, too, you don't show as a whole lot offensively. I'm not sure you show a whole lot defensively in a preseason, too, but no, that's just, what I'm looking forward yeah, to. I'm like, what, what are you looking yeah, for? Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. I think um, I think they have depth and a, and a rotation they have to figure out. Um, there's some players coming back, like a Noah Spence, who is kind of under the radar but could make a huge impact as just a designated pass rusher. It's really about that group on that side of the ball because they, they sort of make the back end look better. I'm not convinced that they're any better, by the way, uh, other than the rookies. You know, I mean, yeah. they, they've got some good young players. But, you know, if I was attacking the Bucks, if I can get the ball out to the perimeter, mm. I'm going to challenge Vernon Hargraves. And at this point, at some point, even Brent Grimes, who seems to miss, miss about, more and more time. Well, I was going to ask you about Brent Grimes. I, I don't know if he's the oldest player in the NFL. I mean, he's certainly your oldest star. Yeah, NFL, I mean, Tom Brady's 41. Right, that's true. Yeah. But he, he's, he's 35. He's 35, which is, you know. For a DB? For a DB. Not, but I didn't think he would have the impact that he's had here. Like, he's actually been pretty good. He's a really good player. If you look at his numbers, I think only Richard Sherman has had as many interceptions over the last past five years. It's incredible. Um, now, I've always said this, and he is a freakish type athlete, but it just seems that when you take he missed a couple games last year and and they were critical games we saw in Minnesota yeah. how much Hargrave struggled um but when you when you take a player and he gets older do never in my mind you never expect the guy to play better and get healthier as he ages <laughs> those are the two things that like and I think we saw that with Robert Ayers last year right right you know Robert Ayers came off a pretty decent season um you know and then came in here and you know had two sacks and you know got beat up more so that would be that would be the part I'm not sure. We'll see how fast these young, young defensive backs and, and some so of the. So you're not others. sold. You're not sold like Vernon Hargraves. You're not. I think Vernon. To me, I think Vernon has done everything you need to do. You know what's been the difference in Vernon? The guys taking trying to take his job. Mm. There is nothing like you figure out pretty quickly in life what you value when somebody's about to take it away. <laughs> and I think you know whether it was coming home, he had injury problems last year. Didn't seem like the most serious cat in the world. He's changed. And the one thing I like about Vernon, like if you go up to him and say, hey, man, what happened last year? He'll, he'll open a vein for yeah, you. Yeah. He does not run away from how he's played. Of course, how could you, right? One interception in two years for a first-round pick. But he's also doing two jobs. He's starting outside, moving inside. I think Vernon's going to be okay. And I think those young corners are going to be okay. I think, I think in time, it's just, you know, it's really what happens up front and whether or not they can um, put some pressure on quarterbacks because there's an awful lot of good quarterbacks just, coming. You know, I'm surprised. I thought he was going to be so much better. Oh, and based on what he did at Florida, he's a ball hawk there. That's he the was, weird. That's thing. the thing. In a good conference against good competition, yeah. he played well against the good teams. Yeah. And yes, it's not like he was wiping up on Vanderbilt and Kentucky and then just getting no. torched by the Alabamas and the and the you know the, the really good teams in the SEC. I he was a really good college player, and I again I could understand like if if. Sometimes you draft a guy out of, you know, like the, the Mac or whatever, and it's like, oh, he's played at Miami of Ohio, and he didn't play against anybody, and you can understand why they would struggle taking the next step. But, look, you're going up against, like I said, the Alabamas of the world, the SECs. Like, those are good players. And he was so good in college. I don't know, maybe he'll still figure it out. Maybe he'll still. I just think it's a position that's a high-bust position because you have um... – such great players and, and, and scheme and everything has to be right. And, you know, I mean, Eli Apple was taken right around that time, yeah. too, and he's been a failure. So a lot of people were high on him and thought he was better than Hargraves. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe they overdrafted him. 
And, 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 and then I've known players that have needed more time. They just needed years to figure it out. And sometimes they do and they go on to have great careers. But this is a big year for, for Vernon Hargraves. Watch, like Rondé, what was Rondé like? I'm not Rondé was horrible. Rondé, as, he, was nah, he, was, he was horrible as a rookie, although it wasn't for a lack of effort per se, but he was one of the worst players I've ever seen. And, and <laughs> seriously, I mean, you know, Tiki was winning, you know, awards in New York as a running back, his twin brother. And... I remember vividly that his rookie year, they played him against Seattle. For whatever reason, Herm Edwards started him that game. There might have been an injury, and he got absolutely lit up. And they never played him again until, astonishingly, they were playing Green Bay in the playoffs. And we look up, and all of a sudden, Rondy's going to play. And Herm was like, gotta go play! Gotta go play! Gotta go play! And he went out, and he played his butt off and had a great playoff game. And from that moment on, you know, Herm just said, you know, he just needed some guys need more yeah. time to figure it out. And boy, did he figure it out. And now, you know, he's a Hall of Fame uh, uh, candidate and maybe he has a better chance than, than even John Lynch of getting in. Who knows? I got I got to interrupt you real quick because you were taught you just started doing your Herm Edwards, which I miss. And I don't know. Maybe you've talked about this with Steve on your podcast. I haven't listened the last couple of days. I know you were in San Francisco for the uh, yeah. Dwight Clark Memorial. And there was like a thousand people there, right? Cast thousands. Not quite, but I mean, I mean, like, like famous people. Famous people everywhere. But your yeah. boy was there, I heard. Berman? Chris Berman. <laughs> He's said Mr. San Francisco, right? He is, and you're trying to get me to do him again, which <laughs> I'm happy to do. But Tom, I, honest to God, you know, I actually have, I was able to converse with him. I didn't tell him like, hey, I do, I do you, you. <laughs> yeah. A lot and did it a lot. Football, it's a football Friday and all that. But when I say to you that no matter what imitation you do of Berman, Berman is a bigger caricature as Berman. So Berman does a better Berman Berman does the best Berman ever because you could not believe you could make up the stuff he does and says. So we're there for the Dwight Clark quick story podcast, people. We're there for the Dwight Clark thing, and there's a reception afterwards, and they have Berman. There, there was hundreds of letters that, that, that Mike, May, Mike Matt, Matt Mayako out in San Francisco had collected from fans about the catch. And they gave them to Dwight, and Dwight loved them. And, and we read a couple at the uh, service, and then, but there were others that weren't appropriate. Yeah, right. So, we, so they had Berman read one of them, and he hadn't <laughs> proofread it. And it was hysterical because <laughs> it was about this guy that smoked weed, and, you know, Berman's like, yeah, I should have read this first. <laughs> but the whole thing is, is that. When he got up there, it became about Chris a little bit. Yeah, right. But, but you, you know, like the iconic, you know, back in the salad days of ESPN, Berman was one of the few, he was there for the catch, and you still see yeah. the clip of, of, of the people come out on the field. And he's he goes, fighting them off and yeah, all Yeah, and that. he was like, yeah, quick story, I guess. 26 years, 26 years old, you get, uh, not that, it wasn't my moment, you couldn't screw it up, you had about four minutes to go, so they, they're at the 25, and they make the play, and I, I tell the camera, let's move down here to the end zone, and it's Freddie Solomon drops the ball, and they, they, they have to catch, and anyway, I, I'm there, and the people are coming on the field, and, and you got one shot, right? And it made it sound like this was his "Do you believe in miracles?" moment. Right. I don't remember it that way. Uh-uh. I mean, it was a, he goes anyway. Eh, Twenty six, thirty five years later, they're still playing at ESPN. What can I think? <laughs> <laughs> it just became about him. You know what? I was listening the other day to a podcast. I'm trying to think. There, it was sports, a sports media podcast, and they were saying that you know we still make fun of Berman on Sunday NFL Countdown. And if you gave ESPN a do-over right now... They'd take them tomorrow. They would take them They brought them back for the playoffs. Because, would, and the would, ratings went up. 
they would add, and this is nothing against like uh, everybody who's on those shots. Yeah, it is. Who, who's, who's on there? Is it Sam, Sam Parker? See, you right? can't name him. See, yeah, well, I think what I mean, Sam, Sam's the host, Sam, but Sam Parker, but that show in particular, like, is and they were and whoever was talking about this was saying as much as even the people who didn't or made fun of him for being the caricature, yeah, 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 did right there. It's like. Yeah, but dang it, I missed that. You know like, what I, he did as well as anybody in, a, in an era where no one no one cares anymore about them because you can get them on Twitter in real time right. is highlights. Yes. And they brought him back for the playoffs to do highlights. And I'm telling you, he interjects life into those highlights still today. And it's that was sort of what he became known for was, you know, the two-minute drill or, or not the two-minute drill. Just him and TJ. And TJ. And they brought them both back and they did it. And it was terrific. It was tremendous. And I don't know that in Hawaii now. Aloha. He always he greets everybody. Aloha. Yeah. Yeah, he um, lives in Hawaii now. His wife passed killed, away. Yeah, passed away. Killed yeah, she died in an automobile accident. So. And now he's in Hawaii. But I'm telling you what right now that, I mean, ESPN, you look at the numbers, they're not good in terms of, I don't ESPN think. ESPN made a few mistakes. Brett McMurphy. Yeah, oh, yeah. Not you know what's interesting about the Ohio State thing? And we were, oh, the heck of the podcast has lost all moorings, which is great. <laughs> but the, the interesting thing about Ohio State was they had a protest the other day mm-hmm. um, for some of the folks that want to keep herb. And yeah. it was outside, you know, it turned out to be about 200 people outside a 100,000 seat stadium. So I'm not sure it was really worth covering, right. but they did. And there was a bunch of signs blaming ESPN, mm-hmm. which is odd because they actually let go of the guy. Who broke the story? Right. So they're blaming ESPN because this guy wouldn't have been. Mo- I'm trying to figure out what is the logic here. Yeah, I don't. Well, first off, they're just mad. They're screaming at the. They're at the moon. Shot at the moon right yeah. now because I. You can go back to. I think her name was Sarah Gannum, who worked for the uh, the Harrisburg Patriot in Pennsylvania, and she's the one who broke all the Jerry Sandusky Penn State story stuff. Yeah. And she went to Penn State. Yeah. yeah she was a. She won died the football in rule, Yeah. Yeah. She loves Penn State, and and. Was do, simply doing her job, and uh, yeah, and I saw that I saw that the other day with the ESPN, like people ripping the ESPN and the whole fake news. And look, it's all part of something much bigger that's going on in this country right now, which the division a totally of a... different podcast. But <laughs> it's a uh, but no, I was yeah, I was surprised by that as well. But ESPN, it's interesting that you know I've 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 talked to Brett in the days since the Ohio State uh, situation, and you know he was. He's still being paid by ESPN. So is Ed Werder. Ed, <laughs> Ed Werder in Valley Ranch. He and to I, not work by the to way. not work like and that was the thing that bothered Ed. But it, but I think the idea and Brett has said this I think on the podcast I don't put words in his, in his mouth that that ESPN did this let these guys go while they were still under contract and told them we will pay you so long as you don't go work someplace else because right. they didn't have an offset or maybe they did have an offset. But the point is is that if they went someplace else they would no longer get paid. So most of them elected to unbeknownst to ESPN to not work. And I think what Brett has said and others have said is that what they were hoping for was that no one would be out of the the arena for two years. Right. And so therefore why wouldn't they just go get a job and then we yeah, we're I, off I, and then I, we're I, off the hook. We right. save their salaries. And that was the intent. Exactly because when ESPN and Brett talked about this where ESPN when they went through their layoffs Everybody assumed, well, I have two years left on my deal. They're not going to fire me. I got too much. And I think like Mark May, yeah. I think he had something like four years. Exactly, Mark May. But uh, Mark May, you know, and they just assumed, like you just said, they yeah. assumed, like, well, these they're people, are, they're not, they're they're not going to want to be out of work for four years. So it was actually, 
a tactical maneuver by ESPN to say, okay, this is the way to get out from under these contracts. Um, but anyway, I, it would be, I would love to see Berman come back on, uh, and I never thought I would say that, but to come back and, and do prime time or do Sunday morning countdown, I think it's... Uh, uh, never say never. Uh, and they, you know what, it's, it's so funny too, like Ray, we were talking about this here day too as well, like Ray Lewis went into the Hall of Fame. If I, is there, is there anybody that I thought is a can't-miss television analyst, it was Ray Lewis. And anybody who was worse at it than Ray Lewis, I don't know who it is. Like, I, I don't understand how that was a total... Wipeout? Swing and miss. I don't either. Maybe because... With Ray Lewis, in my mind, there, there is a credibility issue. Yeah. No, you're <laughs> There's right. There's more than an elephant in the room. You know what I mean? Ray, and I've known athletes like this, aside from his problems in Atlanta... Some guys are just good at being themselves and, and can't really mm-hmm. go beyond that. You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Ray Lewis is tremendous talking about Ray Lewis. Right. But have him talk about somebody else, he may not make any sense at all. Right. You know, because I don't know how hard he thinks about it. You know? Um, there's See, a lot think- of guys that work hard at football, but then when they get in the broadcast, they sort of wing it or think right. they can wing it, and they can't wing it. See, I think that's a problem ESPN's running into right now with A-Rod is I think they're running into a credibility problem because, like, for example, just – the, you know, a week or so ago, he got into a pissing match with you Darvish, basically calling you Darvish a bad teammate. And then you Darvish just comes back and is like, wait a minute, what did you say? What did you say? Right. You know, and all of a sudden it's like, that. that's like I heard another podcast. Oh, I get it. What that's, did you that's, say? That, <laughs> no, that's the oh. hammer. That's the hammer right there. Like, yeah. what do you, yeah. there's no way A-Rod can come back and say, well, yeah, you're right. I think it's suspended. But, but ESPN loves, I mean, they must have thought he was going to bring him ratings because... They didn't hesitate, and his Q rating. Would, I think getting with J Lo was the big thing, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah. But I don't know. I listen to A Rod. Yeah, I, although there's something about that Sunday night broadcast that I'm not sure why it doesn't work. As I don't mind Jessica Mendoza, I, I don't mind Matt Fuscursion. Maybe it's just maybe it's too many. Maybe three people. Three people, and they just they're having a hard time finding the chemistry on this. I brought this here. Let me ask you this. Mm. Take it over your podcast here for No, this is awesome. So I, I wrote, it. you're a baseball guy. I love baseball. You love baseball. I wrote a column the other day talking about baseball has a problem. I got some pushback from baseball people saying, what do you, what, what do you care? It's what baseball people? Baseball people, and they're older, I will admit, they're older people, but I wrote a column basically saying, look, these games are taking too long. Yeah, after the four-hour, 32-minute Yankee Red Sox game. Yeah, and I realized it came two hours after, two days after a two-hour game that the Yankees and Red Sox right. But it was... They typically play long games. So but you're a baseball guy. Yeah. So do you have a problem with where baseball is right now in terms of length of play, slow pace of play, or... Is that like, does the rest of people just need to come on and say, hey, that's baseball, that's the way it's played, get used to it? No, I think, I think that uh, I think it's going to be a problem going forward. Uh, two things have changed in my lifetime that, is, that has made baseball the game it is today. The first one is there is a unbelievable, what I think unnatural and unhealthy emphasis on velocity mm. with pitchers. Nobody really pitches anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's very few guys who can go out there and go through a lineup or even ask them, I and mean, look what the Rays are doing, but even ask to go through a lineup more than two or three times. But what you have is, and, this, and I didn't realize this until I talked to people locally, that if you're a high school player mm-hmm. and you go to these showcases and you don't throw 95, I'm not, not 90, 95. Probably when we were little. Was like- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you threw 85, well, it used to be, yeah, that. right. But if you could throw 90 by the time you're in high school, you're guaranteed a college scholarship. Nowadays, for the major leagues, they're not looking for pitchers that throw 92, 93 miles an hour, Tom, and get people out. They're looking for power arms. And what have we seen in baseball? Guy comes in in the sixth inning throwing 96. Guy comes in in the seventh inning throwing 98. Guy comes in the eighth inning throwing 99, and here comes a closer at 100. Right. It's unbelievable, and every team seems to have these guys. So what does that do? So it's ball one, ball two, strike one. So the strikeouts are up. Now, the other thing that's changed is on the hitter side, strikeouts are not a negative anymore. No. All the analytics and everything have, have told them, you know what, we're looking for run production. We're on base is nice, but it's really about driving the ball, home runs, this sort of thing. So when you get two strikes on him, guys are swinging as hard with two strikes as they do with one because right. they're all trying to launch the ball. The launch angles, hit, and we were taught hit the ball back through the middle. We were taught hit down on the ball. You know, these guys were all deliberately trying to arc their swings and lift the ball. So if you have a game that's already pretty much individual anyway, where it's pitcher versus hitter, mm-hmm. and the pitcher is just trying to strike you out, and the hitter is trying to hit it as far as he possibly can, yeah. it becomes a backyard game of wiffle ball after a while. <laughs> it's just like, Home run derby, yeah, yeah, and it's boring to watch, yeah. I think. I took my, my uh, daughter to a game, and she really was excited about going. Um, and whatever reason, like the night before it was a good game, and the night after it was a good game. But the game I saw um, turned out to be a 3 to nothing shutout. Mm-hmm. And there was not a hit for either team till the fourth inning. And I don't think the Rays got a hit till the sixth or seventh inning. Mm-hmm. And they wound up with three hits. There's always ten strikeouts on each team yeah. in every game. Always. Used to be a thing with ten strikeouts, you know, a little cane, yeah, yeah. furniture, or whatever. They yeah. should put 20 up there. Because everybody, <laughs> they strike out 20, eight, ten times. So the game, the game to me, the balls aren't in play. When they are in play, you know, the shifts, you wonder. The thing that I see them doing, perhaps... Two things. One, going to a pitch clock. Every yeah. sport has a clock. The NBA yeah. went to a shot clock. Um, the, the NFL night, has a play clock. The other night at the yeah, the other night at that um, Yankees Red Sox Yankees Red Sox game, there, David Price and Tanaka were taking an average of thirty seconds between pitches. That's incredible. And I think there were something like thirty-five. Now, the Price and Tanaka didn't last all game, but they were both in there pretty deep. I think. The entire game, there were something like 35 full counts, which lends to your argument. Right, strike strikeouts, taking yeah. yeah. And so, really, just add those up: 35 full counts. That's five pitches. That's between. two minutes. That's yeah. Add it up, you're talking about 70 something like 77 minutes of a pitcher holding a baseball, you know, doing nothing, doing nothing. Nothing. nothing but standing on the mound with a baseball in his right, hand. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. See, to me. That's what you got to eliminate. And, and they can whistle past the graveyard all they want to. People still like to see home runs. The ballparks are smaller. Um, you know, good thing because fewer people are going to come. I, I just What would now the other one? You said there's a thing about pitch clocks. And then, oh, the other one was is the, well, strikeouts. Batters don't care. And just, and just the emphasis on the home run. It, yeah. it's, it's, you know. The shifts? I mean, the shifts. Were I, think if, I think the shifts have led to um, fewer guys hitting the ball hard someplace. I mean, it used to be you could hit it hard and get it, get on base, put it in play. Yeah. You, you know, you can't 
and, and it's a shame on players for not adjusting. Like you would have thought when people went to this, they would say, okay, well, they're going to learn to hit the left field. Right. But they can't hit the left field. I mean, Kevin, they're putting shifts on Kevin Kiermaier. Oh, I know. You're telling me Kevin Kiermaier can't put a ball on the ground between short and third? Should, and, they, should, they, make, should they make it illegal shifts? Or I mean, I, I saw one theory is, okay, you, like I don't like the idea of you have to put like three, at least two guys on each side. On each side of the band. But I have heard a thing where everybody has, all the infielders, first, second, short, and third, have to have at least one foot in the infield. In other words, they can't play in the outfield. Right, you can't play. Yeah, you can't put right your second field. baseman in short right field. That's not bad. You know. It's kind of becoming like when we used to play, um, you know, baseball, sandlot ball, where you have to when you'd have enough players, you yeah, say you'd call be four your field. On four, yeah, you have to call your <laughs> you field. Did it the other way. Yeah, it was an out. Yeah, yeah, it was an out. So you could do that. Yeah. Um, final thing on the Rays, just real quickly on the Rays, they're they're back to five hundred. Um, they've made these these deals. You know, obviously Archer's gone. What do you make of what they've done? Are they going to be able to sustain this? Do you think that they, you know, what I've noticed is that they seem to play down to the level of their competition, and yes. maybe that's a sign of a, of, a, of a young team. But still an exceptional year for what they've attempted if to do. If you took me back to March and said, okay, they're going through a rebuilding project, and clearly they were. They were getting rid of Evan Longoria. They were getting rid of Corey Dickerson. They were getting rid of Jake Odorizzi. They were getting rid of Logan Morrison. They were, they were unloading their veterans. They were starting over. I thought, okay, this is going to be a painful two or three years. I thought they were going to bottom out like the Houston Astros bottom out, where they lost 100 games like three years in a row, whatever mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. I, and I thought, okay, the way they're doing this, they're building around young people. Uh, they're eventually going to trade Archer, and that turned out to be true. That what's going to happen is we're going to look at 20 – maybe 2021 or 2020 before they would start to show signs of being a young and up-and-coming team. I'm stunned at how quickly that has happened. Like, they're already showing signs of being a young, up-and-coming team. Now, the problem there is they're, in, they're still in an impossible division yeah. with two teams that are juggernauts, that are young, and show no signs of being able to compete you know, for the next 10 years. But this process of building up has gone much quicker than I thought it would. I'm, and I look around guys like Bowers and Adamas, um, those two in particular, and then we're eventually gonna start seeing more guys like Austin Meadows and, and maybe eventually uh, Brendan McKay. Um, these guys I think are, I mean, at least Bowers and, and Adamas, like these guys are playing can play right now. Yeah. So I'm impressed at how quickly this has all gone, but they're still gonna have growing pains, they're still a five, it's a 500 baseball team, but I didn't think I would be this optimistic about them this soon after they made all the moves in March. Bullpen gimmick or here to stay? I think it's here to stay. I, 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 I don't do think too. it's going to be like, I don't think you're going to have like, one. there was one day right after the trades when Snell was on the DL where their official chart on whatever it was, MLB.com, listed no starting pitchers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's, I don't think they'll, they'll, that'll happen. But I think I could see one or two days. At least, yeah. At least a, if you don't have, if you don't have two solid three starters, star, three starters that can give you five or six good innings, like Snell or somebody else, I don't think you run into anybody out. Here's there. how we know it's going to stay go. We'll see if the, if they're the only team doing it to start the next season, and I bet not. I bet there will be the Dodgers have done it the this two, year, yeah, and I you watch some of the teams that have always handled their business similar to the way the Rays have handled like the Oakland A's yeah. or like the Pittsburgh Pirates. Like I, I would not be surprised if we start to see those teams doing it, 
then I think it's it's here to stay. Yeah, teams that can't afford twenty five million dollar pitchers will be the ones that do it. All right, Tommy, thanks for your stuff, man. Appreciate yeah, I the, I, the just, truck, to hear, uh, just to hear Chris Berman was great. Okay. We'll be right back. And speaking of the Rays and pitching, how about Tyler Glasnow? I mean, this guy, Steve, has been phenomenal. He goes out there again, has nine strikeouts, I think, through four innings. Mm-hmm. They're building up his innings. He, he, I tell you what, I don't know what's going to happen to Chris Archer, but and, and they still are waiting for, uh, I guess, Meadows, the outfielder. And a player to, to be to named later. And a player to be named later. I, I mean, if this, if this guy continues to improve the way he has just in his couple outings with the Rays, They've really got something here. Yeah, I mean, he talked about how he's really simplified his approach and was working on a lot of mechanical stuff uh, before he got traded. And then as he got traded, he's gotten with Kyle Snyder and really simplified some things. His fastball, he's got a great fastball. When he's goodness. commanding that, it's hard to stop anything else. And he's got a, he's got a slider and a curveball uh, that he was using tonight. Uh, but when the fast when he's got fastball command, he's a hard guy to hit. I mean, you know, you're delivering it up there 96 to 98, 99. Uh, pretty consistently, and then you've got that curveball and slider that goes to low 80s to mid 80s, and that's that's really tough on a, on a hitter. He was a big strike thrower those last couple outings. You know, it's funny that you know he's a big man. I guess he's what six eight? Is that yes, true? He is. Or six yes. seven, six eight. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, command had been an issue at times, I guess, for him. But you know, they they talked about how Kyle Snyder is a very big man himself, was a tall pitcher, and that maybe uh, Snyder has been able to iron some things out for him, but. He's been fantastic. And then also, it wasn't a, a, a well-played game, per se. I mean, the the race trailed 3-1 to one at one point. And they well, first of all, of, let's compliment Alex Cobb, who did. This well, was his first yeah. start at Tropicana Field. He's faced the race several times this year in Baltimore. But uh, and, and Neil Solon's had a great point in the postgame show for the Rays radio tonight, that Alex Cobb tonight threw 101 pitches. Only mm-hmm. 31 were fastballs. All right. That the Rays, as – as is typical with a young team, they can hit fastballs. They struggle with the off-speed and breaking stuff. And that's what Alex Cobb was mostly throwing tonight, and he gave up hits to the first three batters and only gave up two hits after that. Nah, he was very good, and you wonder. It's the first time he's pitched at Tropicana uh, for Baltimore, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Yeah, first time he's been yeah. back here. And and even though there's probably some pressure in doing that, and obviously you want to beat your old team, I bet there was a little comfort in him standing on that mound. You know, but mm-hmm. his command was great, and he, and he like you said, he, he pitched backwards a little bit, threw a lot of breaking balls early in counts, threw them all for strikes, and so he was very, very good. I mean, it, I think he came into the game something like four and thirteen with a five ERA. It's been a horrible year for him overall, but it's been a bad year for the Orioles as well. Um, but he did; he pitched well, and they they scrapped, you know, to tie this game, and they wound up actually tying it with a bases loaded, you know, double play. So what happens in the eighth inning is the Rays get, load the bases without a hit. And then they bring Fry in. So the Rays then pinch hit Gomez in place of Joey Wendell. Fry gets Gomez to hit into a double play. So it gets two outs. But it does score the run, which ties the game. And then Fry gets a strikeout. So Fry comes in, and two batters gets three outs, but he gets a blown save, which is just screwy in baseball. He doesn't get an earned run because all the runs were credited to the guy before him. But he was on the mound when the, the tying run scored, so he gets the blown save, despite the fact he gets a double play and a strikeout. Yeah, that's weird. That's weird. And actually, before Adamez, who hit the, the walk-off home run we can talk about, this game was almost ended earlier by a walk-off home run. Michael Perez drilled one down the right field line that just went foul, and it would have been Michael Perez's first home run as a major leaguer, and it's his birthday. Which is almost as good just or a better missed. story. Just missed. I don't know this is – I guess we can read Mark Tompkins' story in the Tampa Bay Times, but it looked as if, and they talked about it on the broadcast, that maybe Adamus 
had borrowed um, Jake Bauer's bat as as Jake was uh, <laughs> Jake grabbed the bat and was uh, was kissing it and holding it up in the air like it had conquered something. But um, but it was it was exciting for Adames who. You know, they made this point after the game. I think Mark Tompkin asked the question that, you know, is, is the pressure a little bit off Willie now that Adani Hechevarria is is no longer a Ray? And in terms of, you know, you're, you're splitting time, you're playing sort of behind a veteran player that you know is very, very good. And, you know, when you are in the lineup, you recognize, you know, that there's another guy that they, they could, could go to. And um, But with Hechevarria out, he knows he's going to be playing every day. That probably takes a little pressure off of him, I would think. Oh, and absolutely. He said it, it kind of relaxed him because he knows he's going to play every day. And you're not looking over your shoulder of, I just made a mistake. Are they going to mm-hmm. pull me out? It's hard for – players will tell you this. It's hard. You like to get into grooves and, and rhythm and you know to play oh, yeah. every day or to go through the same routine and that. And when you don't know where you're playing, when you're playing, uh, it's very hard for players. And that, it takes an adjustment. Um, you know, I'm kind of surprised with Brandon Lau up here that he's playing left field and not Joey mm-hmm. Wendell out there. They're putting Wendell at second, and they must feel that's a better defensive situation. I don't know, maybe Lau's played more left field in, in the minor leagues, but uh, you know he's a young infielder coming up. But the routine and knowing when you're going to play helps those guys, and so it can only help Adamas this way. And, and getting a walk-off home run with two outs in the bottom of the night tonight is only going to help him even more. You know, when you see Adamas do things like that, we see Bowers has had a walk-off. In the, I think this was their seventh walk-off game. Um, as a matter of fact, that the Rays have had. But you, you can picture these guys doing this for years and years to come. I mean, they, they are a, a, a exuberant bunch. They're a youthful bunch. They've, they've won at every level together. They're used to, to doing these sort of things, and they seem to, seem to really embrace the moment. So I don't know, man, Steve. They're one game over five hundred, but, you know, the pieces that they've picked up are good pieces. You know, these are, these are quality young young major league players, players coming into the majors with a lot of talent, high, highly rated prospects, even from other organizations. Their own minor leagues are filled with, uh, you know, with uh, players of the week, players of the month, you know, uh, at every level, AAA all the way through single A. So it's a good time right now for the Rays organization, and, and I credit them for, you know, there's there's not many games that you, I mean, baseball is baseball, but there's not many games where you watch the Rays and you go, Man, I don't like this team. You know what I mean? I, I can remember so many teams um, that the Rays have had that, that just weren't entertaining. You know, they mm-hmm. I, I don't know what to how to describe it, but this is high high brand of baseball. They're fairly consistent. Um, you know, everybody contributes and I think that's important too, that that they have so many different guys that are coming in and uh and, and, and sort of owning this thing. This is Fun team to watch. Dave Wills had a stat tonight, and I don't remember the record, but since sometime in mid-May, the Rays have lost 10 games at Tropicana Field. They've won most of them, but they've lost 10 in that time. Wow. N- nine of them were by one run. Yeah, yeah. The only time at home they lost, there was a 4 nothing loss to the Yankees in there. But that, you know, this team, as a, as a young team, they play better at home than they do on the road. And they, they're going to make mistakes. I mean, the, you know, let's not kid ourselves is the Rays, you know, the rest of this year is all about getting experience and, and building up these players for next oh, year sure. in 2020 and beyond. And so, yeah. you know, Adama's playing every day is only going to help that. And he's going to make mistakes and he's had a lot of throwing errors so far, mm-hmm. you know, in his young career. Um, and he'll get those fixed and, and be better at it. But, you know, this is all about building towards that. When you see the young team learning how to win some of these games and do walk-off stuff is important. Um, playing very well at home is very important for a young team. And, and competing. So even the games they lose at home, 
like I said, nine of the last 10 losses, which goes back over two months, is by one run. You know, you're yeah. in those games. They're exciting games. Um, and it's, you know, as you said, this team, you know, no matter how many games in a row they've lost, and, and they've been a very streaky team at times this year, is they're always in mm-hmm. the game. They're, they're, they're always competing, which is what you want to see out of a young team. I think they've had almost close to 50 games that were one decided by mm-hmm. one run, and they're still a little bit under 500 on that. So yes, it's been fun to watch them. They they they're a young team that uh, I think is entertaining. And look, the Orioles aren't very good, but they've had the raise number this year, so always good for them to uh, to get one back. But um, yeah, I, I'm I'm enjoying this year. I think Rays fans will probably enjoy this year as much as as any in recent memory for a team that's uh, you know most likely not going to get near the playoffs, but uh, definitely headed in the right direction. Let's wrap it up uh, with one final thing that happened. I don't want to belabor this too much, although we can talk about it more as the week goes on if it becomes a bigger deal. But um, I was at One Buck Place, of course, watching the Bucks practice on Tuesday. And, you know, they, they typically they have a lot of visitors that come through there, celebrities, whatnot. I mean, you know, um, Chad Chronister, the, the Hillsborough County Sheriff, was there with his wife, Nikki. And, um, you know, they were doing some stuff and, and – um, uh, helping a young man out and, and, you know, just, just all kinds of people come through one buck place. Well, on, on Tuesday, one of the guests that was very visible and, and easy to see was Hulk Hogan. And, um, you know, I mean, every, uh, you know, the Hulkster is sort of all over the Tampa Bay area, right. And has been for a number of years. He was a guest from my understanding of Deshaun Jackson's Deshaun has guys out there from time to time. And so after practice, you know, a lot of players, I'd say 10 or so maybe came up, to uh you know to hulk and said hello and some like you know evan smith were big you know wwe fans and um i'd say you know about that many had their pictures taken with them some bucks staff members had their pictures taken with them and one of the guys that was the last one over because he was out throwing after practice and doing extra work was james winston so winston came over and you know a picture was taken of him and um you know the bucks did not post it but the Tampa Bay Times did. I mean, Greg Allman posted a picture of Jameis with Hulk Hogan that said Jameis Winston with Hulk Hogan, and that was the only sort of um, uh, caption to it. Um, and then Twitter went nuts. And, you know, the reason is, quite simply, uh, I guess, that, you know, if you recall, Hulk Hogan has had several moments that he got in trouble for, one of which – um, included him talking about his daughter and, and he dropped the N-bomb and um, this sort of thing. And, and that's mostly what Twitter reacted to, um, as well as, you know, this is a guy that, you know, got in trouble uh, when, you know, he had a, a sex tape of him with some other, you know, some other man's wife was published and he won a lawsuit from Gawker and it was very public. Um, so people people basically went on Twitter and, and um you know, we're really on Jameis, and, and the accusation was, well, he's you know extremely un, self-unaware, um, and that uh, this, you know, what was he thinking? This photo should have never been posted, as well as his own representatives got on us for posting the photo, which, you know, we we post photos of Jameis after practice with all kinds of people. You know, typically it's, you know, uh, a kid, you know, that's that's out there visiting or. Um, you know, the other day they, they had an injured you know, player that had a spinal injury from uh, one of the high schools. And, you know, I mean, and him just signing autographs. We take pictures all the time of Jameis. But it was shocking in it's uh, just how quickly um, people seized on this. And, you know, it and, and also 
you know, sort of the pushback that like, you know, we were trying to stir things up. I can assure you that, you know, we, we were not publishing a photo thinking that this was, uh, you know, this was going to somehow, you know, get pushback on Jameis. We just, we just published the photos. I published one with Ali Marpet and, and Hulk Hogan. Um, and maybe we were self unaware because when you do think about it, you can see why there would be a reaction to this. But Steve, it's amazing how social media has sort of steered the narrative, and we wound up writing a story about the reaction on social media. That that then became the story. It wasn't necessarily Jameis posing for a photo as much as how people reacted to that photo. I I, I never understand the reaction to this kind of stuff. I mean, first of all, these are two big celebrities that posed with each other. After Jameis is still in pads in his uniform, so it's not like this is yeah, a well thought right out plan field. or whatever. He's walking no. off the field and takes a picture with the guy. And yeah. they're two local celebrities that are well known, and they're not thinking through anything. I mean, you know, and, and mm-hmm. you don't like Hulk, you don't like Jameis, whatever. It's like you'll see with politicians, and you know, they're working rope lines and shaking everybody's hands, and then you pose with someone, they open their shirt, and it says, you know, I'm a stupid or something. And yeah. you know, the politician will get a bunch of crap for it because uh, you know someone tricked them into a picture and stuff, and and people are outraged at the politician. It, it makes no sense. And and same with yeah. this. It's like. These are two local celebrities that were at practice. They posed for a picture together. There's no hidden meaning to it. There's no. I, no and, and granted, I, I, some I of Twitter agree. is just people like to stir things up, so they're going to do it no matter what happens. But yeah, but I will say this, and I'm uh, look, I'm not as tuned in as I need to be in this. In this, I, to the African American community, this was a big deal. This was a big deal that he would stand there with Hulk Hogan after, you know, Hogan had had said some racist things and. Um, you know, I, I can't I can't put myself in that position. I can't really, uh, you know, judge people for judging people. You know, because I I don't know. It, it was it was such a swift and overwhelming reaction that obviously there's some you know there's some 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 wounds that are need to be healed there, and and people just look at Hulk Hogan as as one of those guys that you know he's exposed himself as as racist to them and and they don't understand why anyone uh, much less the quarterback of the Bucks, would want to pose for a picture I'm sure it didn't go through Jameis's mind in fact I know it didn't well that that was time. my point is that look he's in his pad still coming off the field from practice he's not thinking about no you know it, it's more I, 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 I'm I guess I'm guessing here but I'm saying he saw hey that's Hulk Hogan I know him you know, I've watched him or for years or he was invited to, and, uh, look, oh, yeah, in he all might probability, have been invited over. Hey, come over, was in, you know. Yeah, Hulk wants to meet you and take a picture. Right. Okay, great. And I think I think Hulk stayed for that purpose, and, and from what I gathered from his representatives is that he was called over to take a photo. And okay. his choices were refuse, you know, which is not his nature, um, and or, you know, and somehow have the uh, uh, forethought to say, you know, this isn't going to go well. We better do this in private. You know, I don't want other people snapping pictures of us. I mean, the Bucks did not. Uh, I'll say this: that they were aware of uh, themselves enough not to put, and they they did post other pictures of Hulk with with various people, but in the organization. But they did not um, post a picture of Jameis with Hulk, at least from the Bucks Twitter account. So it's just funny to me. I mean, I, I I'm not again. I'm you know, if if you had a visceral reaction to it, I'm not judging you. I'm not saying you shouldn't have had it, but but how swift and and. Um, you know how these things take on a life of their own was something seeming seemingly, at least on our part. You know, it's hey, there's Jameson Hulk Hogan, and maybe we should have been more aware. But it's just amazing how quickly this became a big deal. So you can read about it in, on TampaBay.com or in the Tampa Bay Times. Uh, there's a little item about it, and uh, 
you know, the, the interesting thing is that Jameis has talked only once uh, this this training camp. It was the first day uh, when, when he first uh, – the first time he's had publicly a chance to speak about his suspension, and he has not been available since. Now, I, I would assume that after the game on Thursday, you know, like the locker room is open and if he, he will play and, and he will be available to talk to reporters if he chooses to do so. Um, but he still managed to he's – still, he's still a story. You know, you don't have to speak to become a story. That's just kind of his lot in life right now. And everything – and I've said this before the season started that, you know, there are going to be ripples uh, as a result of this suspension. And you just – you know, you don't know when they're going to hit the shore and then bounce back. I mean, it, everything from how Dirk Cutter manages the two quarterbacks in the preseason and how he has to juggle his offensive line to protect them and all those things – are, are things that are, you know, sort of the result of what is coming down the pike with his three-game suspension. So uh, we'll see how it plays out throughout the preseason. But, boy, this was a, this was a big surprise, uh, big surprise for me uh, as it played out. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed uh, the podcast. And uh, certainly uh, my thanks to Tom Jones, who's always entertaining. I hope we didn't, uh, <laughs> we didn't get too far in the weeds there. It just sounded a little like the Rick and Tom show for a minute talking about – boomer and uh and and some of the others but uh i thought it was it's always fun to visit with tom hey we're gonna have a mailbag for you guys it's one of our uh, favorite uh, shows that we do just about every week and you have a chance to submit your questions we were getting some in already we'd love to get more uh, you can do that by going on twitter at sports Day tb you can reach me on twitter at nfl stroud or you can email me at rstroud at tampa bay dot com and uh always love for you to rate and review this podcast as well yeah, and you can do that anywhere you get podcasts, whether you're using a third-party app. Maybe you go directly through iTunes or Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio. You can subscribe to the, the episodes, and that way it downloads to your mobile device automatically every day. And then if you hit like or leave comments, that helps us. Or better yet, share it with a friend. And if you'd like to advertise on the show, much like Andy at Continental Wholesale Diamonds does uh, this week, uh, contact our sales manager, Monica Boyer. Her n- direct number is 813-957-0836, 813 813- Nine five seven zero eight three six, and don't forget go visit our friend Annie Akana at Wholesale Diamonds. If you spend two thousand dollars, you get a five day, four night cruise to the Caribbean. Your choice of cruise lines, your choice of destinations, and don't miss their special moving sale. Uh, that's going to be uh, this Friday and Saturday, and everything must go. They have great selection of diamonds, all on sale August tenth and eleventh. Be sure to go see our friend Andy at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. We got uh, the Bucks preparing to play Miami in the first preseason game. The Rays continuing their series with the Baltimore Orioles. We'll have all of that for you. And a mailbag. Make sure you get those questions in as you uh, think of them, and we'll certainly answer those for you on tomorrow's podcast. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. For Steve Versnick, have a great Wednesday, everybody.